Hello and welcome back to Talking Leadership TV. Today our guest is Ruth Barron. Ruth is a career storyteller with 20 plus years experience telling audio, online, print and television stories. Ruth helps other people tell their own stories to achieve their career goals. At high school, however, Ruth wanted to be an environmental lawyer. Before she even graduated from university, she was working in the legal department at the New South Wales Environment Protection Authority. What Ruth discovered, however, is that the law wasn't creative enough for her. Ruth has taught journalism, social media and career subjects at New South Wales TAFE. She's also worked in the university sector in the career services space. She's headhunted academics for universities around Australia and New Zealand. She has also become a volunteer career coach for Dress for Success Sydney and a career consultant for Outplacement Australia and Blue Sky Career Consulting. What she has discovered is that most people struggle to tell their own unique career story. So Ruth started career storytelling to help people articulate their individual value proposition. She helps people develop and communicate their career narratives in a one-on-one online coaching format. Owning your career journey will give you the advantage of knowing who you are, what you do well, and where you want to go, according to Ruth, and to enable you to shine bright, be remembered in a hot job market, and more importantly, achieve your career goals. I really enjoyed this discussion with Ruth. This is a great subject to be discussing in the leadership context, particularly as it relates to people looking for work and what leaders could be looking out for in prospective hires, particularly understanding their story and the context from which it comes. But enough from me, I'll hand over to Ruth. Ruth, thank you for joining me today on the podcast. Now, I have a particular interest in the storytelling process as it relates to leadership. And in setting up this conversation, we've discussed what that might look like. So I'm looking forward sorry, to helping uh, facilitate a discussion around this, but particularly for you to share some of what you've learned. So before we get into some examples, can you give me a sense from your career perspective of what you've seen out in in the world of work, why storytelling is important? So I find that storytelling is perhaps one of the key skills that people need um, when they're applying for jobs or trying to achieve their career goals. Um, It really makes a difference for people firstly to understand their own career story if you don't if you're not able to express your career story then in many ways how do people know um, what you've done and where you want to go and it's it, it could be termed personal branding in many ways like this idea of what is your brand but career storytelling I think um, describes it in a, in a way that's larger than that because it encompasses the answer to tell me about yourself. You know, your elevator pitch, that's your career story, but your career story in a very succinct, maybe two or three minutes, then you can go broaden that out to things like the about you on your profile for LinkedIn. Um, and, and it could be also thinking about the career summary on your CV. All of these things are your career story. But when you're actually trying to, I don't know, get into a leadership role or maybe get a pay increase or whatever it may be, if you can succinctly express who you are, um, what you've done, where you want to go, that career story, then you're more likely, I believe in what I've seen, you're more likely to achieve those goals. For one, people will remember you. We remember stories. 
it's ingrained in us and it's actually scientifically proven. If you know that someone um, can tell you succinctly their career story, you're, you're going to remember it. You're going to remember who they are and you're going to remember what they've done. Thank you for the for, for helping doing some scene setting here. I have probably a follow-up question because I'm not um, well-versed in the power of storytelling from what you've seen, and again, I don't want you, I don't want you to name individuals or organizations, but do you think the average uh, punter on the street really understands the value of storytelling? Now, what and I'll put this in some context, not that they can't tell a story, but when it comes to that idea of almost crossing into self-promotion using the storytelling process do you think we're not as connected to it as we once may have been I don't know about once may have been but I do see that people who haven't had like me journalistic training don't sometimes see when someone is expressing themselves in terms of a story and in fact I was having this conversation just this morning uh, with someone who is trying to work out whether she should stay in her role at a not for, as a not-for-profit CEO or move um, into a communications role that she's been offered. And I asked her to think about her story in terms of a profile. You know how you might see it in a newspaper or you can see it like um, on television, they'll do a short profile of someone's, generally their career, their career story, and I asked her to think about this point in time, how she would want to tell her story. Should she stay where she is and then keep on going on that CEO path? Or should she take another option and go and work in a communications role? I'm not sure that that's going to answer her question for her, but it's going to help her think through the options of how she could tell her own story. And no, I don't think people think in those terms when they're considering different options for career paths. They don't think about themselves as the the subject of a of a story of a profile. Um, they think about themselves in terms of their CV and how how it's going to look. But what I said to her as well is, um, it's how she tells the story. So if she decides to go into that communications role and then changes her mind, wants to go back along the CEO path. Again, it's how she tells her story um, in job applications, in, in job interviews, um, all of those different processes that are involved in potentially um, positioning yourself or branding yourself. I don't really like that term, but positioning yourself for that particular journey. Thank you, one, for the response. And two, yeah, I don't like the word branding either. It has a connotation that you're commodifying yourself when that's not that's not the case. Positioning is probably the better way to say that now that that's great uh look in terms of c setting um i think we've done that well enough now to go into the 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 meat of the discussion here particularly around some examples and some stories that you'd like to share with us so um yeah over to you and and happy happy to put a a, a warning on this that we're not going to name individuals or organizations for the sake of professional etiquette not that i would ever ask you to do that so yeah, if you want to kick off with some stories that um, we can mull over, please. Yeah, definitely. And and I guess, you know, in terms of leadership, um, in terms of storytelling and leadership, but it's good to understand that sometimes 
people are thinking about moving to a different organisation um, and telling their story that way, or it might be a step up within their organisation to a leadership role. So I'm thinking that the first um, story that I'm going to tell you is about a client who is in the finance industry. And sometimes the hardest part about moving into a leadership role is proving that you have the capability. You, you, you may have been working in the organisation for a number of years, as he had, but you have to demonstrate that you have leadership skills. So he was trying to make that transition. And also, I guess, first off, he wasn't quite clear if he wanted to change careers completely because he'd kind of been stopped or blocked a little bit from moving up in the organisation. So we did some career assessments and he also did his own research but then in his next session, he came and told me that he was actually thinking of staying within his own organisation, moving into management. And soon after, he received an offer for an interview for a management role in his organisation. But again, the hardest part was demonstrating in those behavioural interviews that he had leadership experience because he hadn't taken on managerial roles yet. So we went back through his CV um, and he actually had 10 years experience in the defence force as a reservist. He got to captain level. So he had a number of stories he could tell about his leadership outside of the organisation. And it wasn't something that had tweaked with him. So we were telling those stories. And when I say stories, it's often the answers to behavioural questions. So those questions, can you tell me a time or can you give me an example of when you, you know, took a leadership um, role in a certain um, context? You know, they may be asking for those examples. And those examples, um, the reason why they're asked at interview is because if you've done it in the past, you're more likely to be able to do it in the future. So his, um, his, his examples, the examples that he gave, we work through them in terms of the STAR technique, um, which is S, situation, task, action, result, which is a very standard way of answering behavioural questions, but it is storytelling. Essentially, you are telling a STAR story. So we went back through his experience in the Defence Force and came up with examples that he could use in, in that story, in, in, in telling those stories. Um, he had also managed an assistant in his current role. So um, it, sometimes it's actually reminding people of the things that they've done because he had actually taken a management role in that sense, but we had to work out how he could tell some of those stories behind it. And one of the other things he'd done is managed a large project in the organisation. And my cat's just joined us, so apologies for that. Um, so he was able to describe, own, and then reflect on what he'd done um, as a as a leader in those roles, and also what he'd do differently if he was actually um, asked to do some of those tasks again. Which is part of what those behavioural questions are asking for is a bit of self reflection. So that, that's that's great advice. Um, I've had problems in the past, particularly in in my um, uh, start of the career, trying to address those behavioural type questions for interviews because you're not thinking in the ways that you've just described. And it's fascinating to me how people can have such a rich life and career that they don't realise that they may have done some things that even the employer that, you know, you said this this particular um, individual 
was in that organization for some time, it, it sounds like there were multiple stories that would um, lend itself to a new, more senior role, yet, you know, people don't make that connection. And um, it's, I guess, why you do the, the work that you do and others to remind people that in a career and in a life, you've, you've got some experiences that your current bosses may not know about and those skill sets are maybe under the surface. It's just they just need to be activated in some way. And, yeah, it, it's amazing in in a career where you forget those things. And, um, yeah, it sounds like uh, this individual was ready to go but just needed that uh, ability to tell that story. Now, I, I'm curious, once you made him aware that it's him, yeah? Uh, uh, yeah. Once you made him aware that he had other stories to tell, did that almost have a, like a light bulb moment where he accessed other stories as well and, and he the grey matter started going? Was that all that yeah. was needed? Yeah, I think so. Um, but I should also say that I did try to get out examples from he, he'd done an MBA, for example. I was trying to see if we could get examples from that because that is often, I mean, it was in strategic leadership, so he should possibly have been able to extract some stories from that or some learnings. But when we talked through it, um, I don't think that was those were his strong stories. And what we found were the strongest stories when when it was when he was actually experiencing something, um, when he he could actually, I mean, I think in many ways he is actually a natural leader, but he'd never had someone put up a mirror to to him and go, you've done this, 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 and this. And um, I'm still working with him, so I don't know if he'll get this role. But even if he doesn't, I think what it's possibly done is opened up his eyes to know that he has that potential and hopefully, more importantly, it's let his organisation know that he is capable and that he has aspirations to become a leader um, and he is taking part in um, a, 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 um, a larger organisation sort of leadership course. So I'm hoping, I'm hopeful that whether it's with this organisation or not, that he his next role is actually a step up for him. Yeah, it, it sounds like the, the the foundational work's been set up. Everything beyond getting prepped and sharing stories in a written form as part of an application process that you're really in the hands of the gods when it comes to the selection panel. And, yeah, you would hope that internally they see some different aspects to him that he may not have uh, um, promoted before. And, yeah, it's, it's always, you, you know, you can get to the point, the pointy end, which is the interview, and then from that point on, who knows what kind of assessments they might make. But, yeah, it's it's good. Um, it's actually good feedback for those that want to um, potentially look back at a career and then that you may want to accelerate your leadership growth in another organisation or you may want to try another career pathway, maybe in a leadership context, and that um, you have to be prepared to do some of the work that you're talking about now to be able to not sell yourself, that's probably not the right uh, terminology, is to let other people know that you've got some skill sets that are of value to them. But unless you get, you can catch that in a way that lets them follow some logical sequences, which I think we're geared to respond to 
uh, people just won't assume that you've got these things unless you tell them. So tell them what you've got, tell them that you've got them, and then tell them again why it's important. And, um, yeah, the fact that we don't do this well suggests that it's not something that comes natural. I don't I don't believe personally, so this is a personal view, that selling your own story is something that is easy to do or comes naturally to most people i don't think that that's a skill that is a natural skill in my in my I, estimation i don't think it's a natural skill for australians right so okay I think, I think for an american um it would actually be a lot easier to tell that sort of story promoting yourself and i think it's just because australians are not trained to do that tall poppy syndrome um we're just not um it's it's kind of you know, look down upon if you say you say you're important or tell good stories about yourself to promote yourself. So I think that um, I think that some other countries do it better than we do. Wow, a cultural grenade thrown in the in the conversation. I look, I, I can't find myself disagreeing. I've I've spoken to some really interesting human beings in the US, particularly in that entrepreneurial side of the ledger, and uh, for them business building, self-promotion, being the best and and telling people that you're the best at something is just par for the course. And I think in having those discussions, maybe the intrinsic Aussie in me went, hang on, you don't this isn't right. You don't go out and almost like the big noting, the tall poppy thing, almost cutting your legs out from under yourself without realizing there is no wrong in doing that if there's a purpose to doing in our shameless self-promotion. I don't know if that's a different a different conversation altogether, but yeah, yeah culturally I, I would have to agree. Now, um, the, just, the fact just on that, that note yeah. as well, I yep. should also say that um, I did have a client who was in leadership roles in IT, and when I explained to him some of the concepts of storytelling, he said to me quite blankly, I'm not a politician. I don't think I can do that. So I think that um, often we see, um, you know, uh, this idea of telling stories as something that's actually a negative. It can be seen, perceived that way if you're, ex- you know, you're telling you're telling stories in terms of not actually telling the full truth. And I think there's there's a difference between being an authentic storyteller and being a politician. And I think that's something you've got to be quite careful about when you are in an interview for example because people can see through it they can see through when you're not being an authentic storyteller I, I think you 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 have tells like people will not look directly at the person they're talking to look away like they I think there's some tells and and if we're going on the cultural um dimension just for a moment I think Aussies have got their bs radar quite attuned to that when you know you're talking to someone that's full of you know what you kind of go nah that's not that that's not right at all and it's not it's not a good thing because people remember again if the story is a bad story or you've embellished some things people remember well you're full of something and I, I can't believe anything that you say and in some ways you really only get one shot to be authentic and um i i think i would always err on the side of there's no need to embellish your story your story is what it is um, you can highlight the bits that you think are important, and that, that's that's where I think the nuance is. But um, look, I'm I'm learning a lot from this conversation because I've I've never I've never actually looked at my career as a story. I've just looked at it of chunks of stuff I did, and all that stuff has coalesced into 
what I'm doing now. It's not all of me. My career is not the whole me, obviously, but I never thought about looking at it this way. So thank you for the for the the guidance there. It's quite interesting. Let let me ask you something else. Now, um, you've obviously met people in the world of work in in your profession as a journo and then outside of that field of interest. When when you broach the topic of storytelling potentially as a way to highlight the those best situations or those best examples of the best you professionally, do you meet resistance at all? Like you gave before the example was I don't want to be a politician, but is there some natural resistance from people to going, oh, I can't, I can't do that or I don't know how to? Is it is it because we're just and I'm talking to the clientele, it's because we're just not attuned to what you know, or is it that there's a natural degree of resistance to it? I It may be a little bit of both depending on the person. I mean, some people really get it and they can use it really well in their, um, in their journey, in their career sort of progression. Um, some people, I think, perhaps... Um, because they haven't had the training um, in journalism, just need a little bit of help. Um, so there are, um, you know, there are obviously sort of theories and ways of looking at stories that you get taught as a journalist. And one of those, for example, is the inverted pyramid, where if you're reading um, an, an article um, or even watching a news story um, or listening on the radio, um you get all the the who, the where, the why, the what, you know, all that information right up the very top so that if you don't listen to the whole story, you've still got that information, um, you know, you've got the the vital information from the news story. Um, and I think that that is something as a journalist you get trained um, to tell that those sorts of um, stories. But people who haven't had that training don't know these simple um, structures of how to explain to someone what's happened in your career, for example. So all I'm doing is taking various frameworks and um, principles that you use as a journalist and putting those into the context of careers. And some people get that naturally. They naturally tell a story that way. Some people just need a little bit of help and training. And, and in the same way that I talked about star technique, that's not a journalism technique. That's actually, you know, a technique that gets used with careers, but it's a framework just the same. And so I keep telling clients when they get these frameworks, you can use them or you can tell a story the way you would tell a story, so long as it's got all of the relevant parts of, of the story and it's got the information. So all I'm doing, I think, is helping people with those frameworks. Yeah, the the interesting part of that is the um, what the receiver wants from the story is different to maybe how you put it together. And um, having sat on some panels on the other side, the 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 guiding principle. This this is going back a little bit in in, in my memory, but it was about what was the outcome of the process that they applied? What was it not necessarily that it was a positive one and that, that would be unfair, but did it work or did it partially work? Or if it didn't work, what did you learn from that? And so um, that what the panel wants from you from the story is very different in some senses. And I'll try not to be crass here. Some panels don't give a crap about the beginning here. Here's how the world started or my career started. They want to know, 
okay, you had a crappy situation. This is your, you had a process and the outcome was good, bad or indifferent. Um, it's more, I think, from memory, it was what was the outcome and then what was the process you used? And so depending on the position, I would I would hazard a guess that more senior roles, they're really into outcomes and process, whereas in the more junior roles, it's well, you identified a problem and then you did some things and not so much interested in the outcome. So pitching the story to the audience that you want, I think there's a nuance there. Would you agree with that? Definitely. And I'm going to touch on a couple of things that you've said um, there as well. So that the the general um, framework is star and the R is for result. So that's the outcome that you're talking about. People often forget to give the result, which is the most important part. But sometimes you'll get asked a negative behavioural question. So can you tell me a time when you failed to or when you didn't, um, you know, I don't know, communicate effectively to a group of people. And when I tell people there, again, it's not my framework. This is, I'm just, you know, taking this from, from, from other people, but I talk about star plus, you know, plus sign and star plus that plus, it might be the result is negative, but the plus is that you learnt from it. So whatever those learnings are or how you do it differently, that is actually the most important part. So if someone asks you one of those negative questions in an interview or even in for selection criteria, but generally they don't ask them in selection criteria, it's usually an interview, um, you would, it's, it, I'd advise you to give me that plus, like tell, give me a positive ending to the story um, that, you know, you, you've decided that you'll never do it that way again and this is the process you're going to take in the future, for example. And that's self-reflection. Yeah, and and that it, there's an art form to that because um, I have read many responses to criteria either in the written form or in interviews where people answer a negative with a negative. So tell me a time when something's gone wrong. Oh, I went really wrong and here's the catastrophic thing that went wrong and there was no end bit. So you're left hanging there going, hang on, this is like a cliffhanger a TV show. You haven't given me the end. Did did what did you do? Did you actually learn something? So I, I get that the, the panel or the interviewer is trying to extract that. I, I think, um, and this again, observation here, the the one negative uh, statement that's put in interviews is what, what tell me something negative about you or um, what what is something you'd fix about yourself? And for years I've, I've asked people, how do you answer that question without sounding like a complete idiot and the best response i've had is go uh, go with the mindset of challenges for yourself not a negative so i may not know something about high-end finance but i'm doing some things to help my understanding grow and i'm on i'm on a learning journey or i'm educating myself rather than yeah i'm, I'm pretty bad at it i don't know what to do but it's something that's there for the future like I think it's how you how you catch that. Do, do you do you see some of that in, in yeah, the clients definitely. that you work with? I def I definitely agree with this. And um I think that um I mean when you're put on the spot in an interview, it can be very difficult to come up with good examples or good answers. Some of some of the things that I go through with clients is actually coming up with um, a bank of stories that they can use. But if you haven't prepared for a question, it can be very difficult to come up with it on the spot. But I would always say um, to, 
I think you mentioned this before and I didn't touch on this, is think about um, what they are getting from your answer. Um, and I'm going to tell a very personal story now about myself. Um, when I was in um, high school, I went through um, a round of different interviews to do an accounting um, sandwich degree where you actually went to accounting firms and um, they interviewed you. So I was only in year 12 and I went through to some of the top sort of accounting firms. And one of them was um, Price Waterhouse Coopers. It was still called that at the time. And for some reason, I was um, matched up with the HR director. He was the person that was interviewing me. And he spent, you know, 20, 30 minutes interviewing me. And then he said at the end, now I want you to describe yourself to me. Um, and I looked at him blankly. I went, what he said, in just in just a few sentences, I want you to describe yourself. And I couldn't do it. I, I just simply couldn't do it. So he said, well, I'm going to describe you. So in the 20 or 30 minutes he'd been talking to me, he was able in two or three sentences to tell me who I was. And that was life-changing for me because I suddenly went, all the answers that I've given him in this interview are giving him a story of myself and he's just showing me by his description of me what he's taken from the interview. So from then on, I kind of understood the interview process. And I know that might seem a little bit um, naive that I shouldn't have known that that's what he was doing, but it was the fact that he could tell me my story. He could tell me who I was and he'd only met me for 20 minutes. So uh, I think you've been a bit hard on yourself, Ruth, in grade 12, having a, a, a grown adult sitting there and being able to reflect on you that way. Um, some things that scream out at me is if he was in a HR role, then part of his training and his life experience in those kind of roles is to be able to unpack responses that are, that are given to him and or her. I don't know if it was him or her. Um, in that In that instance, um, given that you're very young and you can you've only got so much life experience to share anyway of now if you'd had 10 jobs by the time you're in grade 12 maybe you're very different to the average uh, senior student but it's easy to reflect back and some of that and I think every human is guilty of this is you can put your own shit on people's experiences from answers they give because, I doubt you went into a deep dive about your responses to him and or her, sorry, and that um, there's as much as it was life-changing, I think it's one of those moments in uh, your learning journey, if we can call it that, that made you stand up and think, oh, wow, there, there's something here, um, there's something critical I can learn from this. And it would be nice as humans if we did that on a regular, but sometimes sometimes we don't. Um, I've... I've um, I've heard now, um, I get your opinion on this. I've heard that in some interview processes, and I've only heard this this once, maybe twice, but not as strongly, the applicant who someone that I knew said to the interviewer, I really think that's a negative question. Can you ask it in a different way? And I, I, I thought that took so much guts to say in an interview, I would never dare to do that. And if if I did not like the question my response would be geared to um, possibly um, passive aggressively tell the interviewer, this is a crappy thing, but here's my response. Um, have you heard of anyone twisting it around in an interview Look, or would it take some degree of um, 
uh, fortitude that most people don't have. I think most people don't have that um, sort of chutzpah, if you want to say it like that. But I guess um, what I do tell my clients is it is your interview. Remember that. Um, It's your interview. So if you, for example, get asked a question and you don't know the answer or you can't think of the answer on the spot, just ask them, can I come back to that question? It, it's not going to necessarily look look badly if you do that, if you come back with a good answer later. And, in fact, um, I gave a workshop um, for a government department where one of the participants told me about an interview that they were involved in. They they had you know gone through the interview process where they'd asked an incredibly difficult question at the very, very start of the interview and everybody uh, except for one person tried to answer it. Um, the other, th- that one person asked if they could answer it at the end and they're the ones that got the job. That That's the person that got the job. So um, I guess what I'm saying is it is, your, it is your interview. And one of the things that you've got to think of too are the questions that you might ask at the end of the interview yourself. What questions are you going to ask? And one of the questions that I do suggest, if you do feel like you've got a little bit of um, confidence, you know, you feel the interview went well, maybe, you know, is there anything um, that you think might prevent me from getting this job, having gone through this interview? Can is it, and, and at least then they can highlight anything that they've got concerns about in the interview and you can answer then um, to that. Yeah, that um, that that takes a degree of confidence, but I think you put yourself in a better frame of of reference, better frame of mind, if you look at the interview as your opportunity and your your uh, pitch for why you should be in the role, rather than oh, it's so great that they've given me the opportunity to uh, present myself here, and that I'm not going to say anything again. It always makes me laugh that someone had the nows to turn it back on the interviewers. And um, I think it's a nice strategy that if someone throws a really curly question at you to put it towards the end, because um, I think often in interviews and, and people will don't see the logic that it's building to what are the capabilities you bring and here here is what we want. If you've got a curly question, answering it at the end gives you a chance to marshal all of your response and saying, look, in reference to this question, how I would answer it is blah, blah, and blah. Here is a situation and here was the result of it. I think it gets in the mind of the interviewer, right, rightly or wrongly, that you've got an ability to be self-reflective and have a think about this because there's nothing to say in an interview that you're barred from being creative in the storytelling or creative in your response, I think people get tight, um, wound up quite tightly when there's an interview because the ending of that process is you have a job or you don't have a job. And so it's it's not anything to be um to be sneezed at because people put invest a lot of themselves in looking for jobs or, or at least I hope they do. I I know that I do um in the jobs that I've gone for, but you never know what kind of panel you're going to get. You never know if it's going to be three, four, five people. I've in previous life, I went for uh, some interviews with um, associations where I had almost a whole board um, as the interview panel. And that brings its own dynamics because you don't know how the board works and you can tell who the leaders are, even amongst a group of leaders. And it can make life um 
Difficult. I, I, I have to say this, the com- this conversation is interesting because it, it's a reminder for leaders and those that want to be part of organisations that this part of the process before you get into organisations is important and um, how much time a leader gives to thinking about the selection panels in their businesses and the people they're trying to bring in. I'd be interested if, if um, leaders actually take the time to be almost like a fly on the wall and watch an interview process roll out to see how you're filtering people through a process to see if they fit the organisation. I wonder if there's a disconnect between what you think you want as staff in a business and what you present in an interview. You're nodding your head. Do you agree that there may be some disconnect there or some slight? Well, there can be. I mean, there can be. It depends on the organisation. And, in fact, um, just yesterday I was talking to someone who um, told me that she was often brought in on panels um, for interviews, not because she had the knowledge of the jobs necessarily, but because she could put the candidates at ease. So they would get her in there so that she talked to the person that was that was um, in the hot seat um, and, you know, try and put them at ease. And it was at that point where you actually saw their personality come through. Um, so I think that it, it is, I mean, interviews are such sort of, they're so foreign to many people. People get very nervous in interviews. And in fact, it's not the person who does the job the best that gets the job. It's the person who does the interview the best that gets the job. And that's that's a little bit unfair because I guess, you know, what I try and do, and I do say this that I give people an unfair advantage is that if you can do, if you can tell stories um, in your interview the best and you can also, and coming back to that idea of knowing your audience, if you can tailor your stories for the audience that your 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 interview or your, your documents, your job application documents are tailored for, it's more than likely that you, I think, are going to achieve, whether it's getting that job or, you know, being put, put um, you know, considered for other jobs, whatever it may be, um, you are, you are, I think, at an unfair advantage to other people. And I think storytelling plays a big part of that. Yeah, and, and it's the reason why I wanted to have the conversation. I'm often um, thinking about the the power of storytelling in organisations that alone um, and, and what we focus on today and quite interestingly around how do you set up uh, a process of, of the setting up the storytelling for an interview. Now, you can take that storytelling process and apply it to any part of working in an organisation or for those in leadership roles. I think the best storytellers that are leaders that I've ever seen, sorry, not best, most effective leaders are good storytellers because as a as the lead as part of an organization you want to go all right so where are we headed boss and they can't tell you where the end point is um not having that pathway laid out can be quite difficult and it's almost um with with the the leaders that i've had some interactions with and some that i've spoken to have said you put sort of signposts along the way you're taking people for the journey. What you can never guarantee is you're going to get the goal in the exact way that you thought of at the start because things change. And getting people to be part of that journey is the is the essence of of 
I think, leadership. And I think storytelling is a part of that, yet we don't maybe call it that or there's not that self-awareness. Is that something you've seen in the leaders that you've come across? Yes, and I'd say as well there's a difference, I think, between business storytelling and career storytelling. So I think what you're describing here is business storytelling um, and it's a, in some ways I, mean, I, 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 am, I have a scientific background but sometimes I describe it in terms of the magic that you get when you actually buy into the story. And I think that's what you're talking about with leaders. Real true leaders are people that can get um, their staff um, to buy into the story that, that that they're sharing or that they're directing the company towards. Um, and I think that um, in the same way that you can do that for a large organisation, you can also do that for, you know, individuals as well. And that's more where I'm working at at that level is with people rather than, you know, the large organisation. But in many ways it's just a scaled-down version of the same thing. Yeah, and thank you for saying that because I, I thought that in my head and I was going to ask you, is it, is it about scale? And I think the buy-in in your own individual story is you've actually lived some life and you've done some things. You need to describe what they are. But more than that, what was your process? And that, that I think the process bit is is key to whether we're talking about um, career development or at that career level or within the organisation that people want to know what is the process here. So in an interview and I'm working off my own memory here, a big factor in whether or not someone progressed into a second or third interview is they described a really good outcome, but they didn't quite tell us how they got there. And if you don't have that bit in the middle, it sets off some alarm bells because you could have grabbed that story from anyone. And if you don't, if you can't articulate what that middle bit, the juicy bit in the middle is, people don't, aren't going to come along. And that's true in both those contexts. It, it, it's been my experience. I don't know what, how you would view that. How do you view that? Look, I think you're, it, it's very accurate what you're saying. And it just reminds me as well that um, people tell stories differently. And um, one of the things that I capture, I think, when people are telling some of those stories about the outcome is they'll talk about we and we're talking about scale here. If you talk about we and use it as a collective and talk about um, as a group we did this by using that we, I don't know what that person individually did and that's really important for a panel to know. It, particularly if you want to be a leader, you need to be able to demonstrate not just the outcome, which is that middle bit, which is in, in the star, it's the A, the action. You've got to know what that that um, action was, but you've also got to know what role that person played in that. Otherwise, you know, you might not, as you say, you might not have done any of it. You might have just been along for the ride. Um, and I think that, um, yeah, it, when you're talking, I think the difference between potentially a, a, a company or an organisation um, and their storytelling, in many ways you want that to be collective, but when you're talking about your leadership, you definitely need to tell tell the panel, you know, tell me as your coach um, what you did as part of that. Yeah, I'm understood. Look, Ruth, this has been an amazingly interesting discussion. Thank you for sharing your time with me. And um, I often say to people, I I 
um, I developed this podcast as a way for me to develop professionally, but I think everything we've had in discussion is a really timely reminder around why storytelling can be powerful at the individual level, but it doesn't, it shouldn't take an Einstein to work out that this has applications beyond the individual level. And uh, there's more fruitful discussions around how one impacts the other. And if you're up for it, I'd love to keep talking to you on future podcasts on, on specifics around this. So Ruth, thank you for your time, mate. You're welcome. Thank you, Eric. Really appreciate it. And uh, as I probably um, should have said right at the beginning, I help people tell their own career story. Ruth, thank you again for your time today. Um, How can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about what it is that you do? Well, there's one great way, which is on LinkedIn. They can just go to Ruth Barron on LinkedIn, um, or you can find my website, which is careerstorytelling.com.au. And I'd be happy for people to reach out for coaching on their storytelling. I'd like to thank Ruth for her time. This has been a great discussion and an important conversation in the context of the current employment market we have. But irrespective of whether that employment market is hot or not at the moment, understanding who you're hiring and what their story is, is critical to you as a leader to understand the kind of human being that you're recruiting for your business and more importantly whether he or she is the right fit for the business and conversely whether they believe that your business is the right fit for them thank you for supporting this podcast if you can drop a like or subscribe to get more of this content have a great week look after yourselves and we'll catch everyone on the next episode of talking leadership tv